Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. This episode features the music from Presumed Innocent, made in 1990. And here's your host, Jeff Cummings. There are very few movies in John Williams' filmography that have no logical explanation regarding the maestro's involvement. Presumed Innocent is one of them. I spent a lot of hours trying to find the through line that would help me understand why Williams would want to write a score for this film about a prosecutor who is charged with murdering his former colleague and lover. Perhaps he had been approached by director Alan J. Bakula to do a movie in the past, and the two reconnected for this film, or maybe he had read the Scott Turow novel and put himself on the list of composers under consideration. And, for some reason, my brain thought Williams had been involved in an earlier film with Sidney Pollack, who was one of the producers on this movie, but I knew that wasn't true. Now, while there is no public statement that can tell me why or how John Williams came to write the score for Presumed Innocent, you have to wonder if there were also other projects that were put in front of him at the time. Did Warren Beatty reach out to Williams to score Dick Tracy? How about Irvin Kirshner, who directed The Empire Strikes Back? Did Kirshner think Williams could do good work on RoboCop 2? But if Williams was really making an active decision to stay away from big action movies, unless Steven Spielberg was directing them, Presumed Innocent was right up his alley. It's the only film score Williams wrote for Pakula, who had a lot of success with classics such as All the President's Men in 1976 and Sophie's Choice in 1982. Pakula said he wanted to expose the inner workings of the legal system with Presumed Innocent, in the same manner that he pulled back the curtain on journalism in All the President's Men. The Scott Turow novel was one of the hottest properties in the mid-1980s, with studios betting up to $1 million for the film rights. In 1989, Oscar-winning screenwriter Frank Pearson, who did such good work on Dog Day Afternoon, worked with Pakula to make Presumed Innocent work for the big screen. Most of the novel is told in first person and in flashback, which Pakula said is poison for a film. And Pakula made a good choice in hiring Harrison Ford to play prosecuting attorney Rusty Savage. Pakula said, quote, I wanted someone who was an everyman, who you root for even as you start to think he might have committed murder, end quote. And since Ford was actively looking for roles that were not Indiana Jones, there was not much needed to persuade Ford to make this his first film after supposedly hanging up Indiana Jones's fedora. If you have seen Presumed Innocent, you know that Ford's hair is almost its own character in the film. It's a buzz cut that Ford recommended, saying, quote, I wanted to tell the audience to leave their baggage at home, not to expect the Harrison Ford they've seen before, end quote. What Ford manages to do is flesh out a character he would play again to some degree in three years as the wrongly convicted Richard Kimball in The Fugitive. I was more enamored with the supporting cast in Presumed Innocent, which now reads like a who's who of great character actors. Paul Winfield, Brian Dennehy, Bonnie Bedelia, John Spencer, and Raul Julia, just to name a few of them. And as he tends to do with his scores, Williams' music in Presumed Innocent subtly tries to be its own character, wafting in and out of scenes to create a slightly unsettling mood. 
While Stanley and Iris' score was quiet and subdued, Williams' work on Presumed Innocent is even more subtle. Yes, there is a main theme, but in many cases, it doesn't jump out at you. Before I move on, I do want to stress that I will be revealing some crucial plot points from the film during this episode, including the identity of the murderer. I would suggest stopping here and watch the film first so I don't ruin it for you, unless you really have no desire to watch it or don't care if I give away the big reveal. So in the score, the piano takes center stage, playing the main theme in most of the key scenes. If you remember the discussion of Stanley's theme in the Stanley and Iris episode, you remember that I talked about the stumbling notes to suggest Stanley's attempts and failures to learn to read. Those stumbling notes make up the main theme of Presumed Innocent, this time I think suggesting a doomed love affair that sets the entire movie in motion. It's quite clearly heard in the opening credits. If there's a co-main theme, it's this one, still played on piano. The great thing about the two minutes or so of music in the opening credits is that nothing is going on visually. It's a static shot of the jury box in a courtroom, so Williams' music takes center stage. This music gives off a romantic vibe thanks to its performance on the piano. And there's pretty much no sense of the tense dramatic moments that will permeate the film or the tragic death that is at the heart of the film. What is Williams trying to say with the performance of the music in the opening titles? Like most art, it is up for many different interpretations. As the film progresses, this thematic material is fed through the electronic keyboard to create a sense of discomfort, but the notes are still played in the higher octaves to contrast the high-stakes drama in the film. It's not a bad choice of instrumentation and composition, but certainly a curious one. The next time the main thing comes up, Rusty has learned of the death of fellow prosecutor Carolyn Polhemus and is asked to lead the investigation into her murder. Rusty goes into Carolyn's office, and Williams brings in the main theme when Rusty sees a photograph of Carolyn. Thank you. 
The first big musical scene in the film comes in a flashback to a court case that Rusty and Carolyn collaborated on and supposedly won. To celebrate, the two make love in Carolyn's office, even though Rusty is married. At the start of this steamy love scene, the piano tinkles away while some synthesized notes float around. And here comes the secondary theme as the passion grows. Perhaps this is Williams' version of a love theme for this story. Again, there's no romantic resolution in the melody suggesting that this affair is not going to end well. Williams cranks up the strings as the flashback reaches its end. That ending felt like Williams tipping his hat to his friend Bernard Herrmann. It sounded like what Herrmann wrote for the scene d'amour in Vertigo a little more than 30 years earlier. Williams always enjoyed finding ways to honor his late friend in music, and this seemed like the perfect way to do it. 
There's another flashback about 10 minutes later in which Carolyn ends the affair with Rusty. The scene starts with Carolyn and Rusty in bed with the main theme tinkling away again on piano. The secondary theme makes an appearance when we see the naked bodies of Rusty and Carolyn as Carolyn suggests that Rusty run for district attorney. Rusty declines the suggestion, and this seems to upset Carolyn, and she starts ignoring Rusty at work after officially calling off their sexual relationship. Though the orchestration gets fuller in the second half of this cue, there's pretty much no change in the actual performance of the thematic material.
It feels like Williams is just coloring in the scene with mood music that isn't meant to make much of a comment on what's happening on screen. He uses his two themes throughout, but it doesn't feel like they are being used as leitmotifs. Midway through the movie, Rusty is arrested on the charge of murdering Carolyn after it is discovered that he had an affair with her, and evidence proves he was in her house the night she died. Rusty's arrest is dramatic, but Williams keeps things low-key here, just flowing the secondary theme through his arrest scene, followed by the main theme on piano as he starts going through the prosecution's evidence files. Okay, so here is where I really alert you to spoiler alerts. If you don't want to know how the movie ends, you might just want to stop here. So Rusty goes through a crazy trial that features a lot of red herrings and misdirects. But in the end, the case is dismissed because the main piece of evidence has gone missing. And Rusty also thinks that his lawyer is blackmailing the judge. Rusty has lost his job, but at least his home life is still okay. That is, until he decides to repair a wooden fence in his yard and pulls out a hatchet with blood and hair on it. And we presume it's Carolyn's blood and hair. Instantly, we wonder if Rusty really did it as he washes off the blood in his basement. Williams has some fun with the strings and picks up the tempo as we start piecing together the puzzle. As the camera pulls back from Rusty washing off the hatchet, the strings get very intense and another nod to Bernard Herrmann.
At this point, Rusty's wife Barbara comes in, sees the hatchet, and essentially confesses to the murder. Williams uses synthesizers to underscore Barbara's talk about wanting to commit suicide, but instead sees Carolyn's murder as the better solution. The two main themes don't make an appearance as Barbara coldly describes the murder. Just music playing on a harp and violin for a while. I have to wonder if someone like Jerry Goldsmith would have wanted his music heard in this scene. It's a great moment for a composer to exaggerate the scene and amp up the emotion. But Williams does exact opposite of that. And it's kind of similar to what he did with Quint's story in Jaws. The strings are just underneath supplying a little emotion, 
but the acting is taking care of most of it. And then we get the end credits music, which features Williams really opening up the orchestration with the two main themes. The notes of the themes are played a little faster with heavier synthesizers and more urgent strings. The way the end credits played out, I wonder if Williams wrote music with heavier orchestrations in the actual score, but was asked by Pakula to tone it down a bit. The end credits music was Williams' opportunity to showcase some stronger music, though I also would believe that Williams wanted to keep the music low-key until the credits. It's what he did in The Accidental Tourist, and it worked very well there. 
Though Harrison Ford had been doing a lot of these kinds of dramas in between playing Indiana Jones installments in the mid to late 1980s, those movies never really saw much success at the box office, except for Witness. Presumed Innocent was a big hit in the summer of 1990, going up against Ghost for box office supremacy and winning its opening weekend. The movie ended up grossing $86 million in North America, almost cracking the top 10 grossing movies of the year. That's a staggering sum for a film at that time that wasn't geared toward children or didn't have special effects. This was a peculiar score composition for me. If I were to listen to it away from the film, I might not find the soundtrack presentation too interesting. Thematic development is almost non-existent, and only in the end credits music do you find a hint of resolution. And by the way, the track titles on the CD give away a lot of plot points, so don't buy it or look at the track list if you don't want to know what happens. So that's Presumed Innocent, a very sublime effort by John Williams. I do think the piano themes could have made for a decent concert suite, but I've never seen one released. So after writing the score for Presumed Innocent and then after spending time with the Boston Pops in summer 1990, Williams returned to Los Angeles with the plan of taking a little time off from film scoring. Steven Spielberg was in pre-production for Hook, his on-again, off-again story of what happened to Peter Pan after he grew up. And since the idea to make the movie into a musical was dropped, Williams had some free time. That summer, he was convinced, maybe by Spielberg, to look at a movie about a boy whose family accidentally leaves him at home by himself while they travel to Paris. Williams loved it, and that became his next film project. Of course, that film is Home Alone, and that's what I will be discussing in the next episode. As I always do, I urge you to send comments about the show in the meantime to me at jeffswim at aol.com or post them on the Podbean app. And please, please write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate it. Until next time, everybody, the baton is down. <laughs>